Welcome back to another episode of That's When I Knew the Podcast, where real people have real conversations about the journey towards building a meaningful career. I'm your host, Robert Creighton. And I'm your host, Sakia Kunadu. And today we're, we're joined by a trailblazer. Our guest today is a champion of diversity and inclusion. Uh, and, and, you know, the work that she is doing uh, has never been more relevant and important. She's currently working as a diversity and inclusion program manager with a focus on university talent recruitment at Adobe. Mo Ramos, welcome to the show. Hello. So happy to have you joining. Uh, that's when I knew the podcast today. Thanks. I appreciate you inviting me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Question. Do you have a drink? Are you having a drink with us? Yes, uh, of course. I have two, actually. <laughs> um, I have water of course and my high noon which is a vodka soda oh nice okay Okay. Mm -hmm. so similar to like a white claw like yeah it's similar to a white claw um i never jumped on the white claw bandwagon (laughs) (laughs) um i just i tried it i was like oh it's like nothing special and my roommate one day brought these home and I don't know, it's something about the bubbles, like the, the, the like, it's so different. Cause I actually tried them back to back and I'm like, this is different. The t- it tastes different. Um, and I actually really enjoy the flavor. So nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a red blend. <laughs> I'm having water. I've been working all day and then I have some work to do after this episode. So yeah, I'm going to. Just... The life of a young professional, right? Yes, yes. I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> it happened. Okay, well, I think we can just kind of get right into it. So just want to highlight that you recently started a new position as a uh, program manager in diversity inclusion, specifically within the uh, university, like talent acquisition space. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd love to just learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, so to give you a little bit a background on kind of the team and how it came into fruition. Um, so Zakia, you know this, I, I've always aspired to actually be a diversity and inclusion professional. It, it is something, as soon as I started working at Adobe, um, it was something that it, it just kind of sparked uh, an interest of mine. And I didn't even know that I could actually work in diversity and inclusion or DNI full time until one of my managers actually, she's like, Mo, this is, she's like, I see you glow the brightest when you're surrounded by people, uh, by underrepresented minorities, when you're in front of people of color, when you're giving an opportunity to, you know, uplift people, open the door and bring people in behind you. That is when you shine. And, um, and she's like, I really see you in a space um, doing that long-term. Have you ever thought about that? And it was, I, you know, I had always wanted to, but I actually didn't know that it was possible until someone told me. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and this was back when I was um, first promoted as a talent partner, I think back in 2018. So it, it, it's been a long time coming, to be honest, because as soon as that mm. that seed was essentially implanted, um, just I started kind of asking for more and more work within this space, whether it was doing stretch projects, doing panel conversations, do, mm-hmm. like bringing in different student groups um, on our campus, whether it was, you know, reaching out and being a part of panels, um, whether it was, you know, being a part of our employee networks, because yeah. I didn't really focus on being a part of our employee networks when I first joined Adobe, because yeah. my first goal was being converted because I was also a contractor. So I... Um, That's awesome. I, I I actually like to I, I like to kind of you know take a step back because a, a lot of people yeah. like I mean you know you're, you're diversity you're working in diversity and inclusion there's a lot of people out there that don't even know what that is uh, there's like there's a lot of people that might not even know what the word diversity means but that's a story for another day but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know but my question for you is can you just tell the listeners what what it means to be a diversity and inclusion program manager. Yeah, and I do want to stress in the before I go into what my role is, being a diversity and inclusion program manager at different companies can mean a very different thing. Okay. Um. So specifically for my role, my role entails um managing and executing all programs, partnerships, conferences, events, 
specifically for university talent and specifically focus on diversity-focused institu institutions. So that's HBCUs, HSIs, and TCUs, which for those who do not know, HBCUs are historically black colleges and universities. HSIs are his, um, Hispanic serving institutions and TCUs are tribal colleges and universities. So those are specific universities that my team focuses on. And then from a partnership perspective, it's Management Leadership for Tomorrow, it's GEM Consortium, the Consortium, um, Women in Tech, um, Rewrite the Code, Digital Academy, um, so it's different partnerships, again, only focus on underrepresented minorities. And I could go into what that is too, but for my role um, and what my team will be doing is, again, working with those different partnerships and conferences and events um, and ensuring that we're not only, you know, being in front of those, being in front of that talent, but also investing in the talent. I think it's so important that we invest long-term and short-term into, into that specific demographic. And we're not just there for a primary focus of recruiting. We're there to impact, invest, um, empower, and uplift those people. Um, and not just there to be a transactional relationship, which typical other larger tech companies do. And, you know, from at least being a Latina, like I know when I'm being sold. I know when I'm, you know, being there and they're like, oh yeah, come, come, come. Right, and right. I'm like, no, thank you. Like, that's not genuine. That's not, that's not, an, that's not empowering me. That's not empowering my people. That's not empowering my community. So for me in this role, I want to really kind of break the stereotype of what it means to be a recruiter and really what it means to be a diversity recruiter because there, we, we as a company have a responsibility to our community to invest in them. And, right. um, and so that's really what my main goal is um, stepping into this role. I have a, I have a few follow-up questions to that really quick. I, mm -hmm. My first question is, why is it important for companies to reinvest into the communities in which they're operating? Because the most successful companies are the, those that are most diverse. And so if they want to be successful, and I, and, that, and I'm thinking of that like as a corporate stand, like standpoint, like if they want to be successful, they need to not they need to reflect the community that they serve right. right and you know speaking for the company that i work for we're adobe right we're a creative company we're the creative company mm. and not only do we serve the individual creatives but we serve all the way into enterprise customers university campuses we we're not only a creative company but we're also a document like digital cloud company so there's so many users within that space and then we're a digital marketing company. Yeah. And so our customers are literally those that, that are individual all the way to the enterprise level. And how are we going to really deliver an exceptional experience if we don't reflect our customers? Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And on the community standpoint is we're taking space. We're taking up these office spaces. We're taking up the communities around them by living them, by living here, attracting people to move here, mm. by potentially, you know, hurting their socioeconomic space too, by either pushing people out or closing restaurants because we feed our, we feed our employees. Mm. And so Adobe, fortunately, doesn't really do those things because one, we're very big on, you know, paying for our own food, which is actually one of the biggest reasons is because we actually source our food from a 150 mile radius from our offices. Oh, that's awesome. We also, we also ensure that, you know, the communities that our employees live in at each office, there's community focused events and um, community impact events. So whether that's for our specific San Francisco Bay Area, we have a dev mission project. Um, we've done many projects within the within the Oakland area, within the Emeryville area, within the San Francisco area. So for me, it's I, I don't under I wouldn't understand like why a company wouldn't directly work and impact the community that they're currently based in because it yeah. impacted so much. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right, and I and I think besides you know besides being being the right thing to do, right? You know, why can't we? <laughs> right. Why can't we just do the right thing? You know, I besides that, you know, I think you know there's been some studies out there that you know 
hiring and diverse people into your company it has some financial benefit. Um, so, you know, that's another story for another episode. But one thing I, I do want to share with our listeners, especially the younger listeners, um, I think Adobe is really lucky to have you because, you know, you can kind of hear the passion in your yeah. voice. Like, you know, I think you really love Adobe and that's awesome. That's really great that you love the company you work for, you believe and you enjoy what you're, where you're working at. But I can also see and hear that you love what you do. Right. And that's also important. Um, so just want to share that. Yeah. And I think just to kind of go on to that, you know, something that we love to know is, you know, why did you choose to get into the profession that you got into? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, the quick story of how I got into recruiting, um, I was I'm really unhappy with my first job that you actually won't see on LinkedIn. Um, I loved doing the business development and marketing piece that I was doing. Um, but unfortunately I was just like in a really dark place and I was not happy in many different levels. And I, so I started connecting, um, with a lot of people who I identified with in so many different ways, whether that was socially, professionally, um, economically driven. And so I started reaching out to all of my close friends. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, do you think I'll enjoy it? What does that look like? What's your day to day? And one of my friends, um, mentioned like, oh, I'm in HR. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be in HR. That sounds like boring. And then I reached out to another friend and I was on FaceTime with her and she was actually with, she was with another girlfriend and she's like, oh, I'm a recruiter. You should look into recruiting. And I was like, isn't that HR? And she's like, yeah, but that's not, that's not, we're not HR, HR. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I ended up looking into the company um, and I ended up working for the agency that she was working for, which is my first recommendation. If you're looking at, into going into recruiting, go work for an agency It's and go find the right agency. Cause the agency that I worked for Insight Global, it's a work hard, play hard main, mentality office setting. Um, I absolutely loved my experience at Insight Global because they showed me how to grind. They showed me how to be scrappy. They showed me how to be resourceful. They showed me how to prioritize. They showed me how to source and be um, and source without resources, which was the most important part about how I learned to source. I didn't have LinkedIn Recruiter. I didn't have these fancy tools that I have now. I learned how to source using Google, using Career Builder, using Monster, using Indeed. And so they showed us how to source without any tools, which was, again, the most important thing that I could have learned. Um, and I'd I, I, I like to just also make sure our listeners, because, you know, part of this show is about highlighting careers to people who may not be aware of what a recruiter is. And, you know, I'm, I'm in tech sales. I actually work for a company called Triple Byte. Mm-hmm. So we're one of those resources that you would rely on to help, uh, you know, fill those roles. But I want to I want to actually kind of take a step back. And also explain to the listeners, like, you know, one, what it means to be a university recruiter. And then secondly, uh, you know, the agency route. So, you know, it's, you know, the, that agency route is basically like their, their, uh, their, their whole business model is getting employees at companies. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, their biggest, they're, they're selling people. So, you know, going back to your experience and that's when you recommending that's where a new recruiter should start. It's all about like, hey, this is where you're going to grind because this is their whole business. Mm-hmm. So there's, a, you know, and maybe you can touch on that too. Like what's the difference between recruiting for an agency and then also like, you know, once you've made it and you're big time, like now you're recruiting for an actual company. What are the pros to actually making that transition as well? Mm-hmm. So at the agency, um, they actually have like a two track way where you do, you know, sales and recruiting the whole kind of the whole process behind Insight Global is like you start as a R1 as a recruiter and you just source and you're sourcing for your account manager and your account manager has different territories within the territory. You can have several different companies within that vertical. And um, the cool part about it was you could be supporting multiple companies and impacting multiple communities, which was my favorite part. Um, I got to impact so many different businesses from so many different industries. Um, I loved that it was also client-facing and that I go to meetings with my managers. Um, I also love that I got to learn some like sales. I was cold calling. I was generating leads. I you know, was really qualifying those leads. I was setting those meetings. And that was that 
had the line again it's so important even in a, when i translated it into being a recruiter and i'll go into how i did that but um that was fun to have such a you know different day to day, different companies, different. You learn different businesses and you learn different roles and you learn them quickly. You didn't have time to wait, mm. um, and it was a very competitive setting. So, what I don't recommend people if, if you're not competitive, if you're not metric driven, if you're not comfortable being on the phone, which I think being comfortable on the phone is a skill you learn. So. If you're open to learning how to be comfortable on the phone, then recruiting is definitely a role for you. And if you and if you enjoy the sales aspect, but you don't want to be selling something always, I think recruiting could be for you too. Because in a way, recruiting is selling. It is. You're selling the company. Exactly. You're selling the vision. Yeah. Exactly. And so that was something that I really enjoyed and really again loved, and I loved the camaraderie that the office really created. Um, and I love my coworkers because, you know, being not only in sales, but also being in recruiting at an agency, there's a lot of turnover. And so there's always like a fresh class coming in and it's just a fun environment, um, a celebratory environment, because you would also like every time you got a, like you set a meeting, you set a meeting off of reference or you set like, um, or you got someone to start, you'd hit the gong and it'd be so fun and people would be happy. <laughs> they have gongs in recruiting orgs. I didn't oh, know yeah, that. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> and, um, and it's different from internal. Internal is you're, you're working for a specific organization, a specific team, a business mm-hmm. unit. You're, you, it's very repetitive. Um, you could learn different, you know, specific from team to team. And so you really learn the intricacy within an organization and within the specific right. business unit. Um, there's more consistency internally. Uh, you become an expert in the space that you work in, which is completely different because you dabble in everything at an agency and you become an expert right. in what you do internally. Um, there's also, again, stability within internally, which is really nice. And um and there's like also a different culture, a different uh, sense of culture. We we don't celebrate every time you, um, you you get someone to start or you get someone to interview. We don't celebrate those little things because it's it's not only expected but it's consistent. Um, right. So it, it and it's not attached to like revenue exactly. like it would be at an agency. Like at an agency, you get someone to start. The company just made twenty, thirty grand. You know, whereas. At a company, you know, it's still revenue attached depending on what role, but mm-hmm. it's not the same. I, mm-hmm. I can, I, I feel you. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so, pivoting to your other question about like how I got even into university recruiting, I wasn't looking. I was very much happy in my role. I was actually on the track. Log of in. Uh, There's opportunity on LinkedIn. Exactly, and um, and for me, one thing that I didn't mention is I had Adobe all over my LinkedIn. I you know, was a graphic designer back in high school. I um, used a lot of Adobe products when I was in college and I even used it in my first job out of college. So I was very, very much well-versed in the Adobe Creative Cloud space. So um, when they hit me up, I was like, this is, this is amazing. Right. I'd love to speak. And one of the craziest things is that I truly believe, which is a plug for everyone, speak your dreams into fruition because within maybe three like a month to two and a half months before i was actually talking to one of my really good friends in the office and we're sitting in in san francisco it's on new montgomery and there's a pete's cafe or specialty cafe across our building and there's um there was a california college of the arts or the academy arts and there was adobe Creative Cloud sign on it, and she was like, "Mom, mm. are you happy at Insight Global?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty happy. What about you?" And she's like, "No, I hate it." <laughs> and she was like, "I'm done. Like, I, I need to go. I'm not happy. Like, I, I, this is not my calling." And she's like, "Is there anywhere else that you would ever want to work?" And I was just like, "Honestly, like, I, I don't really know." And and I looked up, and I was like, "You know what's a company that I would always love to work for?" And she was like, "What?" And I was like, "Adobe." I was wow. like, I love their products. I love, you know, what they, what everything they stand for. And two weeks later, like almost a month later, they called me. And so it, it really was full, full circle. And so yeah. I was initially called for a sales recruiting role. So not even the role that I actually got. 
and I go all the way until the final round. I'm on site. I'm walking. You know, I like it's the end of the final round interview. Um, which actually I want to speak on what happened at my interview in my final round interview. Please, please. Um, yes. I remember I was speaking to uh, I was speaking to the director of ACS recruiting, and I remember. I was supposed to have two more interviews after our interview and she was like, but I had a break and she's like, Oh, what are you going to do? And I, I was just like, Oh, I don't know. I think I'm going to go downstairs and get some coffee. And she was like, can I join you? And I'm like, yes, of course. And of course, <laughs> um, this is the director, right? This is the director of ACS recruiting. And as we're walking, um, I'm like, okay, Mo, game based on this is the time to sell. Um, as we're walking into the elevator, we actually run into my then manager and she was just like, oh, girls, where are you headed? And we're like, oh, the cafe, do you want to come? And then she's like, oh, yes, of course. And so now this is an informal interview, essentially, mm. with the director, my soon-to-be manager. And for all of those people who are listening, you've got to take the punches as they come. And the reason why I say that was because I truly believe this was the reason why I got hired. Um, because in in that time when we're just catching up, having coffee, getting to know each other, there was a moment in the conversation that it was a break, and you know I turned to the director and I and I mentioned and I just asked, "What hesitations do you have in hiring me?" And I'd love to alleviate those now. And she was a little shocked that I asked that. She was just like, "Oh, like we're gonna do this now." Like. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I want you to know I want this. And I, I want you to know I'm serious about this opportunity. And um, and I, I feel like there are, there are hesitations. And, it, and again, I want to resolve those now. And she, you know, went into me. She was just like, I don't think you're as seasoned as I'd like. I don't think you're going to handle the um, volume that we recruit at. I don't know if you'll be... Um, if you'll if you'll be okay prioritizing just because you know what you've done at, what you've been able to accomplish at Insight Global, I don't think will translate well at Adobe. And mm-hmm. I like sat there and I was just like, I appreciate you telling me that and giving like giving me direct feedback. And I was able to resolve all of those then and there. And I was and it, you know what she didn't know about Insight Global is that you're expected to make forty calls a day. You're expected to make seven um, qualified leads. You're expected to also if you're going on the sales route, you're expected to also do like an additional 60 calls for sales. You're just, you're another three, meet, you're set another three meetings for your sale, for your account executive. And so when you put those all together on a daily basis, your scouts and recruiters cannot compete with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Well, you have an, you have an amazing work ethic. I think that's right. what she saw. And, you know, I, I before I, I love this story. I want you to keep going. But I also yeah. want to take a pause to make sure that our listeners are catching these gems that you're dropping from the sky. You're just lying over the people, <laughs> dropping gems. You know what I mean? And they can get rich by just picking up the gems. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, what I wanted to say is that, like, for one, you took, you know, people sometimes they'll hire you based off of what you know. Yeah. But people also have to like you. So yeah. you need to be personable. You have to be personable. And I think, you know, that's a really good example of you showing that and you taking that opportunity to show your personality and to kind of take a risk and say, okay, yep. I'm going to go off the cusp here and I'm going to have, I'm going to take advantage of this informal interview and sh- make them see, make them like me and make yeah. them see. And then the second thing that you did that I think is great is that you close them. And, you know, this is a sales aspect. If you're ever like, uh, applying to sales jobs, they always say, make sure you close them. What are next steps? Are there any hesitations? And I think this same type of mindset and attitude can work towards any type of career. Yeah. And, and you're, yeah. And you're in a, a prime example of that. So, you know, these are the things, you know, young people need to be aware of when they're, you know, especially in the early on in their career and they're trying to get into that first role and being prepared to show, to share what it is that makes them unique? What can I do? Talk about your work ethic. Work ethic. Um, yeah, I think it definitely takes just believing in yourself for one, and just knowing, you know. And yep. for you, Mo, also like you kind of you had signs, right? Like 
literally like signs that are showing up on the board <laughs> and just like being, you know, using Adobe products and then to, just to be there now. So I think for somebody who's coming in new, you know, straight from college is to have that confidence and also just building those relationships. Right. And and just having a conversation and talking to people and being open and, and just knowing, like, if you want something, go for it. Right. And I, and I want to let people know I was. I was, I'm not confident. Like the, I was, at that time in my life, I was the furthest from confident because I never thought I'd make it into tech, period. I never thought a company like Adobe would recognize me, period. But I wanted it so bad. And I yeah. yep. do not want to walk away from that conversation having any regrets. And that was the most important piece to me. I'm like, if I want this so bad, I need to make sure that I Fought and fought into the end, and that was why I wanted to ask that question. Speak, speaking of speaking of speaking things into fruition, <laughs> um, tell us about how you spoke your current job into mm, fruition. Because yes. from my understanding, they you you got this job before the protest, before diversity and inclusion was priority number one in, in tech, right? So I, I want to know how did you go about creating this position um, because a lot of people think that, Hey, I got to apply or I need to go here for this job. Mm-hmm. What, you know, in, in some cases you can stay where you're at, start doing that, the work and make that position. But I would love for you to share how you did it at Adobe. Yeah. So um, when I, back, back when I um, started again, Adobe handed me this job because one thing that I didn't mention was as I wrapped up that interview, I walked away and I was like, I have that in the bag. Um, The recruiter calls me back saying, you have it in the bag, but we'd love to offer you another opportunity that we think would better align with your skills and interests. And she's like, would you be open to university recruiting? And I was just like, tell me more. And she was like, I can't. I've never been in it. Actually, you have to come back if you want to hear about it. And so I did. And that's the end end of the history really for me because one they handed me my first dream job which is university recruiting and um, a plug for everyone is you really need to tell your future employer or your current employer your likes dislikes aspirations everything that you're passionate about because that's exactly what I did I told them that I'm passionate about talent development I told them that I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion about traveling because I never got to travel before this role I actually had only been on a plane twice um, I was, wow. you know, aspiring to, um, to really be in front of, I, I loved being customer facing. And that was something that I mentioned. I, I love that about my current role and I'd love, you know, an opportunity to do that. And so falling into university recruiting and again, having a manager tell me you shine the brightest during this. And I know that you mentioned that this has always been a passion about yours kind of drops that seed. For me to again ask for more and more and more and as i started getting more and responsibilities it, it started to be apparent to other people like she this is what she does well at like and this is who we should count on so i started to be known as a person if a diversity group was coming to adobe tap on mo if there's a diversity project you should call on mo and you always always have to again advocate for yourself advocate yeah. for what you're mm. interested and passionate about because at the time, there again wasn't this team, and my manager was very, very aware that I loved this space. And so, if there was ever a project or ever uh, something that cut, came that was close to diversity and inclusion, she knew I wanted to be involved in it. And it was important for me to even have my skip level meetings um, to also, you know, voice that interest and passion of mine. So then, not only my manager knew, but my manager's manager knew, and my, then my manager's manager manager knew. So everyone was fully aware that Mo was our DNI girl. Um, and as we started to, once Adobe actually got diversity and inclusion program managers for corporate, I started to get to know them. And I was just like, hello, I aspire to be you and um, try to, you know, get into more of the work that they're doing. And really my role actually did come, unfortunately, due to a very unfortunate incident. My role um, came due to the George Floyd incident. Um, and for us, it it hit our organization very, very hard because we have a phenomenal black employee network. 
um, that I'm very close to. Um, and I actually work very close to my like sister in crime, Karina Morrow, who is our diversity and inclusion program manager. And I remember the week that it happened, um, we were, we had already had so many conversations, like this team needs to be bigger. Like, why isn't it bigger? There's two people supporting 25,000 people. This is virtually impossible. Um, and you know, there were incidents before George Floyd too. So this was already kind of building up and I was hearing her and I was supporting her and I'm like, I wish that I could officially support you in a higher capacity. And so when George Floyd happened, she reaches out and me and her have a very hard conversation. And I'm like, I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to write a letter and it's not going to be nice. Um, so I actually did write a, a, a very strong worded email to um, my, my VP. And it, it essentially said, you know, I have some recommendations that need to have that I think should happen. One of them being there needs to be formal training for our scouts so our sourcers on how to train and attract underrepresented talent because one we do not do well a good job we they don't know how to one talk to them they don't know how to engage with them if they're out on events and they don't really know how to really interact like really sell adobe to a black or brown person um and then i also mentioned that there needs to be training to hiring managers there needs to be more, there needs to be a larger team and with that one team plug and I was like and I'd like to be on it <laughs> and, um, and when I nothing wrong with that and when I sent that or before I sent that email I sent it to not only Karita but I sent it to my manager and my manager was just like you need to write your job description if you're going to ask for this job and I was like are you sure and she was like yes and I was like okay so I wrote my job description I sent it over to both to review and I sent it over to our VP and our VP was like, great, let's talk. Um, mm. And he was like, wow. I, lo- I love what you have to say and I, I want to hear more. And I'm very curious about this role that you're speaking of and I see you in it. And so it was that easy, but also that scary and intimidating yeah. to send an email to my VP. Um yeah who at the time I didn't really have a, a very close relationship. I had spoken to him once in a while, but like never, you know, direct, direct. And so it was very intimidating for me. I was very, you know, nervous. I'm like, how am I going to be perceived? Am I going to be perceived too aggressive? Am I going to be perceived as an angry brown woman? Am I, am, is he going to, you know, think that I'm just, you know, whining and, you know, not taking action? Um, and so I, I was very intimidated, but the way it was perceived and the way, you know, having my support of my manager, but also my mentor really meant the world to me. And within that week, um, that following week, because I sent it on a Monday, that later on on that Monday, I actually got another call. I get a call from one of my teammates and she's like, hey, I want to let you know that you're going to see a meeting with our VP. Um maybe the end of this week. And I was just, and she's like, because I sent an email and I was like, what did you send? And I'm like, cause I sent something. And she was like, well, I sent, I sent an email and she kind of listed out very similar recommendations that I had. And she, and she also mentioned, and I mentioned the expansion of a team. And she's like, and I may have mentioned your name. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> That's what I did. And so again, plug, you got to advocate for yourself because yeah. if I had not been so transparent with my career aspirations, she would have never said that. I would have never had the support of my manager or my mentor or other people. Um, because what I didn't know at the time is when we got to our meeting on Friday, my VP had already talked to our senior director about me and he was just like, hey, I you know, spoke to... Puneet and Puneet actually agrees. He he says there's no one else better for the role than you. And he, uh, Puneet would have never have known unless I had told him or have. And Robert, you mentioned this before too. Is you got to kind of start being and um, working as in the role that you want to be in and having right. stretch projects. Again, I, I kind of groomed myself to be the best person in line for the role if a role were ever to arrive were you, were you ever discouraged when you were like 
doing the work and taking on all these extra projects, but maybe there wasn't a, a, a you know, an, a, an end in sight where you were like, cause that happens. Sometimes people do all this work. They take on all these projects and they don't get promoted. So, so were you ever discouraged there or like, I need to get paid for this type of stuff or like <laughs> this company doesn't deserve me doing all this. Like what, what were your thoughts on, you know, on, on those aspects? Yeah, there was a pretty dark time. <laughs> it was, um, probably the end of last year, the beginning of this year, I, I was kind of feeling burnt out um, to say the least. I like the, the side projects. Cause for us, we have a very high workload. Zakia knows this. Um, I, I recruit, especially this year, I recruited, God, I think almost 115 people um, within a within a seven to eight month window. Um, and I was also juggling two roles. I was juggling my non-tech corporate functions talent partner role. And then I was also juggling my research role um, because I, because someone on our team had to go on emergency mat leave. And so I stepped in and on top of the partnerships that I was already driving. So at that time I was, I was like, I need more money. I, I need a title. I need, um, I need to know there's an end in sight, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And for me, it was, I actually started creating a game plan. I was like, if this does not work, and and it was even before this meeting, I'm like, if this does not work, if my Hail Marys doesn't work, then what? Then I may have to leave the company that I love so much. And what my hail mary was, um, I actually decided to meet with my entire team and do kind of like a survey to understand: Am I crazy? Do am I the only person that thinks this role needs to exist, or do you think it needs to exist too? And uh, I got a hundred percent yes that this role and team needs to exist. And so as I was collecting the data, this actually happened. So now I actually have this data to rely on to know what are my team's expectations of me? What are, like, what what do they hope to see? What are the type of programs they want to see? What are the type of events they want to see? How will they utilize my, me as a resource? And so that would have been my Hail Mary because I was going to send that not only to my senior director, but my VP, my manager, and say, like, I want to present to you why I think this role should happen and why I'm the best person. But instead, you know, again, a very unfortunate incident turned into a very positive incident, um, at least for me and for our company, because there's a lot of change that's happening. Yeah. And hopefully it'll, t- it, uh, and ho- and that's the thing, you know, and just that's the thing. And then hopefully, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, prosperity is a beautiful thing for people and for companies. You know what I mean? Like, that's a real blessing. That's, that's an awesome thing. But hopefully the society and the, our communities also get a part of that prosperity. And I think it starts with, you know, your company and then it starts with you to go out there and do that good work that good work that you're doing. And, you know, and getting people that look like George Floyd, look like us into these roles and giving them an opportunity to build a meaningful career. Definitely. Um, I think you kind of make a good point. I think you're a perfect example of one, being aware of of who you are, what you want and your passions and being happy about something. But you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, mentorship? Is that something that do you think if you had maybe a mentor early on, you would be in a different position or, you know, how do people go about getting these, you know, dr- like these dream opportunities like you've, you've had? Yeah. Um, I a hundred percent believe in mentorship. And I also believe that mentorship comes in so many different forms, variations. You may not even call them your mentor. Um, because looking back, um, I come from a very, very, very underrepresented, underprivileged background. Um, I'm an immigrant. Um, I'm a first college um, graduate, first generation college graduate. I um, really, you know, d- college was initially an option for me. And so if it wasn't for now looking back at mentors, um, now looking back, you know, my coach, my basketball coach, my volleyball coach, um, my softball coach, who actually ended up being all the same person, like the one person <laughs> in a very small town. Um, if it wasn't for her, shout out to Justine McCune, I don't think I'd be where I am today. If it wasn't for my avid teacher, um, yeah, I never even thought again I, that I would be going to college if it wasn't for her. Shout out to Tracy McFarland. Um, 
if it wasn't for those two women, I like, I'm about to tear up. I would not be the woman that I am today because they were the first people to tell me you are about, you have value. You can give value to people. Um, and you can pursue higher education and you will succeed because I don't, because I was also told you, if you go to a four year university, you're going to flunk out because you're a big fish in a little pond and you're not going to make it. Mm. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for those two women saying they're wrong, you got it then I would have never pursued for four years school, which I ended up at UCSD. And then at UCSD, if I wasn't, if, again, my boss, um, my job for the longest time, um, she was not only my boss at at knockaround camp, but also at UCSD rec classes. Um, If it wasn't for her to recognize me and say, like, you're amazing. And I actually want to hire you year round because I was only her camp counselor for a summer. And she was like, within the end of the summer, she's like, Mo, I want you in my life all the time. What are you doing over the school year? And I was like, oh, my God, you want to hire me? And she's like, yes, you're amazing. (laughs) Um, If it wasn't to have, and for me, I actually have noticed a trend in all of my mentors are strong women. And if it wasn't for her to say, like, you're amazing and I want you and I want to see more of you and I want to see more of your magic. And for her to always kind of plant those seeds, she was like, what do you want to do with your life? What are you passionate about? What are you interested in? And although she never put me in a specific role, she asked me those questions that I needed to reflect on. And, right. and those questions, again, as I didn't know what I wanted to be. I knew what I should voice and I knew what I should say and mean it. These are the things that I'm interested in. These are the things I really don't like. These are the things that I want to get involved in. Um, You you remind me a lot of myself, not to hijack (laughs) your story and just be, (laughs) but you remind, yeah, you remind me a lot of myself just because, you know, it sounds, it seems like, you know, you come from a, um, you know, a background that's not, like you said, it's not a privileged background. You have to really work for yours and you have to really earn yours the hard way. And um, you also are very humble about it. You know, thanking all of these people. If it weren't for these people, who knows, right? And that is the case that, you know, we all need people to help us on our journey. And for, for people who are listening to this podcast, who are further on in, in their journey, like listen to the impact that you could potentially have on somebody by doing what uh, these wonderful people have done for Mo. But, you know, I also want to share to the people who are like us, who have that drive and, you know, who have that chip on their shoulder that, yes, there's going to, you know, you need to rely on people. But, you know, also take a a step back, reflect and also look in the mirror and just see that, you know, a lot of this is because of you. Like you were the one that reached out to some of these people. You were the one that said, hey, let me talk with you. Let me take this bet. Let me be uh, vulnerable. So, you know, and I have to learn this too. I was always humble. I would always be like, well, if it wasn't for so-and-so, you know, that's why I'm really appreciative. And no, that's good. You, but you have to have a balance and you have to also realize the value that you bring to other people and to these companies. Definitely. And, you know, yeah. fast forwarding to, you know, if you want to get into recruiting, um, for me, I think the biggest mentors that I had especially early on in my career, um, especially at Adobe, it was all of, they weren't even senior. They were just, they were maybe a month or two, like at Adobe more than I was. So again, mentorship comes in. So they don't have to be more senior than you. They don't have to be older than you. They can be younger than you. They can be your peer. Um, yes. they can be people that are not even in your role. Um, they could be people outside of your company. And so for me, like, like, again, now I look back and I was like, oh, they, they mentored me. Um, yeah. and, that, and that to me is something that I actually realize. And, and again, having that reflection is always important to me because now as I get seasoned into my career, I'm like, how can I do and say those similar messages that I heard right. that impacted me long-term to be the woman that I am today? Give back. Um, and so for me, I think making the career switch was actually probably the scariest time in my life because I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen. And how do I get into a role that I only like, you know, dedicate 25% of my day to day on. And so what I started doing was I started cold messaging people on LinkedIn and I was just like, please talk to me. Like I aspire to be you. And I, of course I said that more eloquently, but 
there were, I, I got, a no, I got a ton of no responses, but I also got a ton of responses and yeah. right. some people that I see. You'd be surprised about how, how a lot of people are willing to help. Exactly. Yeah. Like Zakia, whose episode does, uh, does most advice remind us of? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm Christian, right now. Christian. Oh, so for all our yes, listeners, if you yes, haven't, yes. if you haven't, I'm not sure, Mo, I'm not sure if you've actually, heard this episode. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, that's funny. Okay. So Christian, he works for the 49ers. He, he, he echoed a lot of what you're saying, like yeah. the peer mentorship, reaching out on LinkedIn. So there's a trend here, people. Yes. And the trend it's, is the podcast. No, just kidding. No, right. 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 <laughs> it starts here. This is, this is, all, this is what we're starts here, here for. <laughs> but no, I think you 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 bring up some some good ideas, and I I think something that's also helpful is obviously being a woman of color, and you know, you talk about the transition from agency to you know working in corporate and being internal, and just would love to know um, what advice that you would share for for women of color who want to get into you know your position or just corporate navigating corporate America in general, because you've given so much good advice about just advocating for yourself but you know what would be some other things that have led to your success or maybe even some resources that you would like to plug you know yes um my plug is go find those resources simply <laughs> i do not do google I, I do. this is one of the biggest regrets of my life is not being a part of management leadership for tomorrow not being a part of latinas in tech not being a part of all of like oh my goodness there's so many not being a part of um like an SEO fellowship program, Braven. Again, there is an overwhelming Shout out to Braven. Number, exactly. There's an overwhelming number of resources out there for you that they they want to give you money. They want to throw money at you. They want to throw resources at you. And they want to provide you with a mentorship network empowerment that you're looking for. And it's intimidating to make those first steps because you're like, uh, like what do they say? No. But what if, what if they said no, what, whatever, like that, and again, that's the salesperson in me is like now comfortable with no, but like at, in the beginning I was not comfortable with a no. And I'm like, what if they don't like me? What if like, and the, to get over that, the only way you could get over that is by exposing yourself to that. And the first step, my biggest recommendation is go do your homework. Like whatever you're looking for, if you're looking to go into sales, look for sales academy. If you're looking to get into HR, look for agencies, look for certifications. If you're looking to get into diversity, go do a diversity program. Go 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 join those diversity you know networks like Latinas in Tech, Decoria, Black in Tech, Afrotech. Go join those networks that are readily available to you. Um, because there is no excuse. In my opinion, there is no more excuses, especially in today's society with so much technology. I didn't grow up with Wi-Fi. So if you don't have Wi-Fi, go to a library. Uh, <laughs> if you don't have a phone, go work. Speaking of Wi-Fi and growing up, <laughs> I, I want to take a step back, actually a few step backs. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to give our listeners and audience an, an opportunity to get to know you more, a little bit more personally. And just get a sense of like how you were brought up and your upbringing. Um, so, you know, I guess my first question for you is like, can you tell us a little bit about like where you grew up, how you grew up? And then, you know, from there, um, how has your upbringing affected your approach towards building a career? Yeah. So um, I want to start off by saying whenever someone asks me about my background, I actually always cringe a little inside <laughs> because I was just like, okay. oh, Like they're going to, they're going to know me, um, or am I going to lie to them? And now I'm so proud to share my story, which is I, again, I'm an immigrant. I grew up, I, my mom moved to San Diego with me and my sister, um, with my stepfather, um, when I was about three years old and, um, we grew up at first initially in actually like pretty middle class, like lower middle class, but like very comfortable, um, when, the economic crash happened. We were also moving at the same time to a small town called Borrego Springs. Um, and it's still in San Diego, San Diego County, but it's a very small desert town, meaning 3,000, 4,000 people max. My high school was about 150 something people. Wow. High school, right? Yeah. And wow, so, right. And when we moved, and that was middle school, so my sixth grade, six until my senior year of uh, high school, um, we were very 
poor. We we lived very, very socially low economic status. Um, There were times where we'd get home, electricity was out, um, the water was out because we couldn't afford the bill. There were times when I would go to basketball games and I just didn't have money in my pocket. So I'd have to hide and um, me and my sister would go on a walk and, you know, try to not let, we'd be like, oh, like we're going to a different restaurant and just me and my sister. So we wouldn't show that we couldn't afford food. Um, I was told by my parents, the only way that you're going to get out of the situation is by going into the military rather than pursuing higher education. Um, for my teachers, um, we didn't have, because our school was so small, it was managed very poorly. We were not only being audited, but we're also, um, we never had consistent teachers and we weren't taught properly. Um, I remember my senior year, I was in my pre-calculus class or my AP calculus class, I was playing cards. So I never properly learned how to, how to do math. <laughs> Um, well, it depends on what kind of card games you were playing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's some card games that require math. Um, and you know, and and this was one of the teachers and I know he had the best intention in saying this, but he, he was a UCSC alumni and he was just like, I don't recommend you going there because you're going to flunk. You did not learn Mm. the material properly. You're, you're, you're not equipped with the tools necessary to be successful at a four-year university, especially a four-year university like UCSD. And oh, screw him. Um, for me, it was it was hard. I like didn't really know how to, you know, handle that. My parents were my parents, by the way, lived two hours away. They didn't grow. They didn't raise me and my sister. They actually, because there was no jobs in Borrego Springs, we they actually had to live with my grandmother two hours away and come every other week or every other month and do Costco runs and just drop off food, come for a week, come for a weekend and spend some time with us and then go back to where they worked. Um, And so me and my sister grew up by ourselves and um, my sister's only a year and a half older than I was. And she did go to college. Unfortunately, she dropped out. So she's part of the statistics of Borrego. She's part of the statistics of my family. She's part of the statistics of a Latinx community. And I'm grateful for being the younger one because I learned what not to do. I'm grateful to be, and I've always been the black sheep too, but for me, there was never a question on whether or not I should pursue higher education. There was never a question on, there was a question on whether I succeed or whether I graduate or like whether I'd be like successful or what I'd the fuck I'd do with my life after school. Um, but there were some things in my mind that I was so determined of that I knew that I was going to do it. And thankfully, I had the right friends in school that um, they their parents were very much present in their life. Um, their parents very much emphasized going to college. Um, m- my coaches, again, being the amazing people they were, they saw something in me and they saw my work ethic on the court that they're like, you got what it takes to be successful everywhere else in the world. Um, so growing up again, very, you, you, I used to be very embarrassed of my background, but now I understand that it's made the woman that I am today. It's made me so hardworking because you cannot take anything for granted. This electricity, this computer, this Wi-Fi. I didn't have a computer growing up. Again, I didn't have Wi-Fi growing up. I had a cell phone, but it really, there was not a ton of data or there wasn't, or I had a limited text plan or a limited call plan. Um, And if it wasn't for the people that I surrounded myself with, then I wouldn't, again, be where I am today. And um, I think I attribute a lot of my hardships to a lot of my successes and the reason why I want to give back to the community because there's people like me still in today's society. There's people in worse situations in today's society and it doesn't have to be that hard. It it does not need to be that hard. Not for me, not for other children and I've worked with foster youth before and those that's the community that I treasure the most. I aspire to be a foster parent one day and it should not be hard to pursue education or have access to Wi-Fi or, you know, have those things that are so, so, so simple to being successful in this society. Um, so that's 
what I attribute my success to. That's why I love what I do because it correlates to who I am and what my background was and how I can change it for other people. Yeah, I definitely, th- I mean, that story is really inspiring. I definitely think your childhood and your family life has had a lot of influence on you, you know, on you and your career path. I guess I would also want to know, you know, what were you kind of exposed to, whether it was your parents or, you know, your grandparents that you mentioned, or even like your friend's family, you know, like what were the kind of the careers and jobs that you were surrounded by? And were there any that you were interested in or thought, you know, oh, you know, once I do pursue higher education, this is something I could aspire to to do, you know, and, and work towards? Yeah. So. My friend's parents were teachers. Um, one was a park ranger for Brago Springs Park. Um, and my my stepdad was, um, I think he was like a gas, uh, like a, a gas mini mart attendant. My mom worked at Jack in the Box. So, and she jumped from job to job. She could, couldn't really consistently hold a job. Um, so for me, to be honest, what really inspired me and the jobs that I was always curious about was actually what I saw on TV or in movies, because we also didn't really have um, cable. And so a lot of what I watched were just a ton of DVDs. My dad was a DVD fanatic or a movies fanatic. And so I thought about being a lawyer for a little bit. And I was like, how long do you have to go to school for being a lawyer? And they're like, oh, another seven years after college. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, because I like to talk and I like to argue as a little kid. And they're like, you'd be a really good lawyer. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then I how long I had to go to school for. And I was like, no. Um, I thought about being an engineer. But then, you know. The, an engineer? The math thing. Well, <laughs> when, did, when did you think about being an engineer? Is this when you got to college or like when you were in high school? or High school. Um, and the reason oh. why I thought this was because in middle school, I really enjoyed math. Um, and who told you about engi- like where did you yeah. learn about engineers Nicholas, like soap operas <laughs> soap operas wow I would have never guessed I should have been watching soap operas I could have been an engineer right could have been making a lot of money <laughs> I remember there was one novella in particular it was called La Femme Asbella, which is the Ugly Betty which was a super popular like soap opera novella both in the Hispanic wor- Hispanic Latinx world in the American world because they actually translated the novella because it was so popular in the Latin community into the United States. And I highly recommend it if you ever want to get a laugh. It is so good. But um, I remember the man she falls in love with is an engineer. And for me, I like, I was, again, being such a, being in such a poor economic state, I was like, what is a job that I will make the most money and seeing that, seeing him, seeing his house, seeing his company, seeing how successful his family was and being a family company, um, I remember they'd always refer to him as ingeniero, which means engineer. It translates to engineer. And I, and I remember, I, 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 at first, I didn't know the translation. And I remember I turned to my grandmother and I was like, guess it's all right. And like, what is that? And she was like, oh, engineer. And I was just like, oh. And I was like, okay, yeah. okay. And so I thought about you t- being you, an engineer for a long time. You, so. you, t- you touch on something really like actually interesting and kind of deep. It's like, you know, growing up the way we grow up, a lot of times the jobs that we are interested in getting into are like jobs. It's like we, we, we base our decisions based off of survival. Mm. Right. Because we see our we see our parents struggle. We see the stress. We see the all the bad things that just come with you know, living in poverty and not having things, you know what I mean? So I think it's so unfortunate that we have to make our decisions based off of survival and what's going to get us out of our economic decision. But that's just the cold reality. That's just the reality we face. But I was going to say for you, Mo, I think it's really cool that like you've, you had this, you had this mindset early on, but you've now gotten into a place where you've been able to transition into not only something that's allowing you to survive and, and have a meaningful life, but you're also doing something you're passionate about. Exactly. So, you know, I, I would just say to people, you know, like, yes, you know, sometimes you do have to go get the bag. You got to go get the money. You have to go find a <laughs> job that's going to make you a lot of money, but it doesn't have to be like that forever. You don't have to, you, you know, you don't have to sacrifice your happiness and your passions for money forever, you know? And, uh, and then sometimes you can find a balance, yep. you know, you just have to continue to, 
I mean, I guess that's a good question for you is like, how did you, I guess, you know, I guess you just have to seek it out. You have to have a balance, right? You have to seek it out. You have to work hard and make that money, but then you also have to also keep in the back of your mind. Like, what do I want to do? Yeah. And stay true and to seek yourself. that out at the same time. Exactly. Uh, Be self-aware, I guess. Yeah. So that's actually such a good point because being again in my state in college, um, I worked three jobs. Wow. I like I worked my way through college and something that always has stuck with me, nothing's consistent except change and everything is temporary. And what you said about you've got to grind it out and you've just got to like suck it up for a little bit is so true because I remember my, I like, while everyone was thriving and, you know, living it up in college, I, I was, but I had to do it in a very small scale because homegirl had worth and homegirl had to also, you know, survive for the classes, which again, I wasn't equipped for. What took everyone maybe, you know, an hour to do, it took me three hours to understand. And it took, so I had to not only work twice as hard on my academics, but I also had to work to survive. Um, and that was temporary. The job that I didn't like in after college was temporary. Working at an agency was temporary. And you just have to grind it out and your first job out of school should not be your dream job like I will be very surprised if it is your dream job and if it is bless you but yeah if but know that it's temporary it's a stepping stone that right to the career that you're trying to make into whatever you're trying to pursue because it is again it it's not going to last forever it is temporary into the next step and I think that's so important to have everyone just be aware of is like yes it's going to be hard but it's only going to be hard for a little bit Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that Dang. that kind of resonates with me because I think when I graduated from San Jose State, you know, I wasn't doing the internships and I wasn't involved in all these programs. I was working and I was going to class. You know, I was working two jobs at the time. So I didn't have really time to 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 do all of that. And so a lot of my um, classmates, they already had a job lined up when they graduated. And I'm just like, I still haven't even had an internship or real job experience. You know, where do I even start? Where do I begin? And I felt discouraged. And especially being in Silicon Valley, where we have the Googles and the Adobe's and, you know, all those companies. And so I think something that might be discouraging for, for folks is they're coming in thinking, I've got to land that, that, first job at this tech company or and and that's not always necessarily the case you know and I for me I started off with an internship obviously I wasn't getting paid um and then I moved actually I was working at a, a staffing agency more so focused on healthcare and then I eventually just kind of worked my way up and I started working um as a receptionist at Box which is a tech company and you know eventually landed full-time roles but it's definitely that journey and those steps that you have to take and I know some people get discouraged where they're like well if I don't get Google you know that's it and that's not necessarily the case, you know. You just have yeah, to keep... Google. Yeah, Google. <laughs> you know, gotta be crazy. I, I, I've had a, I've had a few like <laughs> I've had a few where they're like, my goal is I'm going to work, and that's fine to have those goals, right? Yeah. That's there. Nobody's telling you not to have those goals, but it's it's saying don't be discouraged when you don't get there at that first try. You know, Commu right. communicate with people, utilize I, LinkedIn, the, network, build you, relationships. You, you, you mentioned this earlier, Mo, about like being a big fish or being a small fish in a big sea. I think your uh, your high school teacher told you that that's what would happen to you if you went to a UC. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I read a book once, and it talked about the the pros and cons of being a big fish in a small sea and being a small fish in a big sea. Right. So sometimes you have to be that uh, that big fish in the small sea by you know going to work like you like you did. Like you were probably the killing it at that agency. You, you were so good at it. And at that time, you were a yeah. big fish in a small sea. And what that did was it prepared you. It gave you that confidence to then when you went over to Adobe, you had that confidence because you had what, what would have happened if you got the job at Adobe first and you didn't have all these experiences and you weren't able to crush it? Would you have exactly. still been in the same place? So, you know, uh, taking this like doing something that you're overly qualified for or not the best thing is not always a bad thing. Like. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a, a big fish in a small, a small sea every now and then. One thing that I feel like people should know too is if you get, if you're aspiring for Google, amazing. And if you get known, it means you're just not ready yet. Yet. It's having that growth mindset mentality that it's just like, you're just not ready yet. And so the question that you should 
you should ask yourself, you shouldn't ask yourself, like, I'm so awful, they don't want me, no, you should ask me, like, what am I missing? How can I improve? So then they want me in return. So I need to create impact somewhere else. So then when I reapply and when I try again, maybe maybe they'll contact me and maybe I will want them because they're they're not where I need to be or you know they're exactly I'm exactly where they should be and I have so much to offer and so much to impact so I think having that mentality of a growth mindset is like I'm just not ready yet is so important sorry Robert what were you saying no I agree with you and I just have to say you're only going to get this type of game from three places number one (laughs) is wisdom right so you have to go through it Number two, having a mentor, somebody that can tell you. Or number three, this podcast. This podcast, right? <laughs> I was going to say this podcast. I'm so serious. But seriously, that's what we try to do here. <laughs> we try to give people just, you know, wisdom and advice for people who have lived it, experienced it. So that way they don't have to, they, you know, they don't have to go through it, you know, as difficultly. Yeah. But yeah, this has been a great podcast episode, Mo. We really appreciate you joining the show today. Thanks. It's been fun. I really appreciate you inviting me. Of course. No problem.